Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and once again I'm joined by John. Hey, what's up? And uh, today we've got a couple of new stories we're going to talk about, but before we get to that, John, I'm very proud to say we got our first YouTube video hate mail <laughs> comment. So it didn't even take a week of you being on the show, John, before we got blasted. But to be fair, Excellent. they were more making fun of me, not you. <laughs> so it wasn't really you. But I thought I'd share this because I tweeted out a little bit about it and I said, like, comments, I try to reply to every comment on YouTube. I really do. I try every comment we get. And it's not like we have very many. I mean, realistically, we only have like 7,000 subs on this channel that we put the YouTube videos on. Yeah. So it's not like we get a ton of comments. And even my Billy Mitchell videos that exploded, I replied to every single one. And I like to do that. Like, to me, I'm building relationships early on to try to get people to stick around or maybe show it to their friends or something. Say, hey, this guy's uh, they they partook in the communication with me, and I liked it. Yeah, I was thinking about responding to this guy it, as well. He, I didn't get a chance to it today because I just saw him this yeah. morning. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the guy's name is hilarious. I'm not going to dox him here. But um, basically on our video, he must have been watching the whole – he watched the whole thing, I'm pretty sure, because he – made comments about certain parts of the video so at least god bless me watch the whole thing yeah thanks for tuning in sometimes and, uh, people around yeah sometimes people <laughs> read the title and then they go oh this guy's an idiot and then they don't even watch the video to like you know now he did kind of prove my point about fanboyism and i'll get to it in a second but basically uh he was watching the video and as he saw something he must have disagreed with or heard something he disagreed with he would leave a comment so he actually left one two three four five six seven eight nine different comments um and so they don't go in chronological order, I don't think. But there were some decent ones. You know, he said, hey, don't count out Google. They have a ton of exclusive games coming out, and they have money to stay in the game, even if they're not doing well for the time being. Twitch, I actually hearted that and gave it a thumbs up and said, no, you're absolutely right. You know, you never count out. I hope they don't drop it early like they've done things like, uh, you know, Google Plus. What was it? Is that what it was called? Uh, Google. Yeah, they're like f- the, uh, Facebook Yeah, they're, they're media thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, and they've been known to ditch a, pro- if a project's not profitable, they're going to ditch it, you know, yeah. but we'll see. Cause they might just be a little early and it might ease into it, whatever. Um, you know, so then something like this, like Sony does not have cloud technology. They'll have to use X cloud, which gives Microsoft another advantage. Well, that's just incorrect. Uh, actually I said, correct. I meant to say that's not correct, but they'll partner with Microsoft as far as their Azure cloud services yeah. go. So they're not using X cloud. Yeah. Cause X cloud like is Microsoft's. Like, That's their game streaming yeah, service. Yeah, game streaming service, which yeah. Sony has their own game streaming service yes. called PlayStation Plus. PlayStation or Now. PlayStation yeah. Now. So they're not going to use Microsoft's game streaming service. They already have one set up. Right. But they are going to use, and there was actually an article on The Verve, which I linked, and just said, hey, they're going to use the Microsoft's Azure cloud services. They're going to use that. Yep. No problem. Uh, then his next comment, the next Xbox Series X will be more powerful than 90% of PC rigs in the world. Don't know where he got that number from. Uh, I mean, I guess you could argue if you're counting all of the classroom computers and all of the Chromebooks out in the world. I mean, yes, I don't, I don't know what that comment was trying to be. Like, this is clearly someone who's a big Xbox fan saying how Xbox Series X is going to dominate the market. I don't care if you feel that way. I just said, hey, I don't see what that has to do with anything because I have to balance price with power. And I said, more powerful does not equal a better gaming experience. Note the PlayStation 3. Yeah, the PlayStation sure. 3 was a much more powerful device and got creamed early on in the states and i'm a huge xbox fan and i like 
I built a gaming PC purely to get more Xbox achievements, mm-hmm. uh, which is like when you tell most PC people that they just their mind boggles. Um, but I know for a fact that like you're going to be able to spend probably less than a grand and build a hell of a lot better gaming PC than what the Xbox One mm-hmm. Series X is going to be. Yep. Like that's just facts. Yeah, like the it, the parts are just cheaper it, and you can build a better rig. Yeah, it's like the article that came out recently that said Sony's struggling with the price of the PlayStation 5 because the components are going to cost around $450 with the rising cost of what they're trying to do. So you're like, okay, so if the components there cost $450 for Sony to get, you can buy components that are infinitely better for that, but they cost more. Like, the, it, 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 like you can build a $3,000 gaming PC, which is going to blow the Xbox Series X out of the water. Yeah. But it's $3,000, and if the X comes out, my guess is there going to be a price point at 500 and at 600 and so if it comes out at 600 I mean, you're getting a $600 computer then. You're not getting, like, somehow getting a $1,200 computer and a $600 console price tag. It just it doesn't work. Like you said, numbers. It's math. Yeah, I saw an, ar- I saw an article that said that Sony was going to, like, they're like, oh, well, if the console ch- uh, costs them $450 to make it, they could charge $470. And it's like, there's no way they're going to charge $470 for it. No. They're going to mark it up to, to 500 bucks if they're going to do that. Exactly. And I could see them not making any profit because they rarely do on console. Consoles, yeah, but they're not, and they might even take a little loss. But if a lot of times the components, if they equal 450, the system that doesn't count marketing, packaging, shipping, so that automatically pushes you to probably 500 and maybe beyond. So you know, whatever. So anyway, then the next comment. It sounds like there's a bunch of Sony damage control on this podcast. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like I just said, there's no damage to control. I don't know. <laughs> like. It's almost like he's he's foreshadowing that Sony's gonna die with the PlayStation Five, and that we're trying to convince people it's not gonna die. Like that's not it at all. In I fact, al- <laughs> I also spend a good amount of time praising uh, Microsoft Game Pass. Yes, we on did. the podcast, we both did. <laughs> and so I said, no, there's no damage to control. You seem like an angry Xbox fan accusing us of being Sony fanboys. And I know John is one of the most ardent Xbox supporters out there. Yeah. I have over 2000 different Xbox products, like games, consoles, everything. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're a diehard Xbox guy. And even so much so that you went to, who did you end up making the comment to at at conference one year? You said something to someone, uh, it wasn't in a Microsoft or like the, who was it? it was... Um, I was in. Uh, I went up to the Microsoft booth and I showed them a picture of my, at the time, Xbox 360 collection because I have about a thousand Xbox 360 games all on one gigantic mm-hmm. shelf. It's amazing. I've seen I, it. That I got from uh, Family Video or no, <laughs> um, Hollywood Video back when they closed, and uh, they were so impressed they actually shot a uh, a promo video with me where I talked about my love of Xbox and actually I talked about my uh, my wedding cake because I had my I had my Microsoft Xbox avatars sculpted and put on mm-hmm. my wedding cake and they you, you Sony fanboy yes <laughs> they recorded that and then they used it in an internal Microsoft video that plays like in the Xbox headquarters That's amazing. and so like two years later when I was at the GameStop manager conference one of the one of the different guys from the Microsoft booth was like hey I know you you're on our training video and I was like <laughs> what <laughs> and then he he said it i was like oh yeah i remember filming that little thing i didn't know what the hell they're gonna do with it but that's amazing i'm at their microsoft campus well and didn't you say something like or maybe you were just telling that to me but i remember you saying something along the lines of like i am i am their core consumer 
and they lost you this generation between the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Like, yeah. you, you went to the PlayStation 4 because it offered a better gaming experience for you, and that's somebody who owns a 1,000 Xbox 360 games. I I didn't... I wouldn't say that I they stole me away from from Xbox, but the user interface for Xbox One and the problems that it had at launch were so god-awful that for the first, like, year and a half, I was pretty annoyed with the console. I still played the crap out of it, but man, it was a pain in the butt, and it, I had a really hard time suggesting people get an Xbox mm-hmm. over a PlayStation, especially with the $500 price point. It's like, all right, you can buy a $500 Xbox One that's slightly less powerful than the $400 PlayStation. Yeah. It just didn't make good Th- sense. It doesn't it didn't make sense. And yeah. arguably the Xbox One had better launch titles. Dead Rising 3 I thought was the best launch title on both yes. consoles. I love that game. Yeah, and, so and, much. and I'm saying that someone and I have no qualms, like I've said this on this podcast before. I have no qualms admitting that I prefer the Sony console. It doesn't make me a fanboy. And what really the guy missed, the whole point of this, the, re- the thing the guy missed was that we were making fun of the article that was stoking the fanboy fires. Yeah. We were trying to say, look, don't read these BS article headlines because they're trying to trap you into this. And he literally walked into the trap and then tried arguing with us about how that we were in the trap. And I'm like, ugh. So anyway, lastly, the last comment, he, he left other ones, but the last oh, one we'll mention. Real quick, you brought up Dead Rising. The number one thing that annoys me about exclusive games is stuff like Dead Rising 3, where that game died on Xbox One, and it's yep. awesome, and I wish they would have ported it to PlayStation 4 yeah. and seen more audience, because I think if they would have ported it to PlayStation 4, it would have done better, and we would have gotten a better sequel. Mm-hmm. And that studio went out of business, and they're gone, and they made one of my favorite games on Xbox One. Same thing with, like, Sunset Overdrive was awesome, and I wish they would have hit PlayStation because yeah. I thought we would get a Sunset Overdrive 2 if more than the 5 million people that yep. might have been willing to try it tried it out. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think there's certain games that debut on Xbox, like Below, which is the Capybara games, Cappy games. Like, I think that'll do really well now that it's coming to PlayStation. It just wasn't a game to me that I saw was killing it on Xbox. Yeah. And it's not its not saying that Xbox isn't a good platform. It's just saying that they've cultivated a certain fan base. And so that fan base doesn't like games like that, you know? And, and same thing with, like, Ori and the Blind Forest. My God, they would probably sell, like, a billion copies on PlayStation. You know, yeah. the game's incredible. But it's fine, you know? I mean, arguably... Uh, you could take something like Gran Turismo and say it would sell gangbusters on an Xbox, you know. So it's it you know it goes both ways is my point. So the last comment, uh, this one this one frustrated me a little bit because I actually contrary to popular belief apparently on the internet I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so this was the comment. If you remember last week on the podcast, I said how I asked the question: Is the Xbox division even profitable yet? Because the Xbox division has not been profitable for many, many years. It's like it, it's not really a common known thing because a lot of people say, oh, Xbox made $10 billion last quarter. Um, so anyway, the guy says, this guy said he does not know if the Xbox brand is profitable yet. He actually said that, tells me he has no clue about anything Xbox, LOL. The Xbox division made record profits last quarter over $10 billion. And then he goes on to say, my God, if you're doing a gaming podcast, at least know something about gaming, you're embarrassing yourselves. <laughs> so, so that's the comment to which I reply, revenue does not equal profit. And then I got a little upset, so I said, please understand basic business if you want to leave comments like this. And I left him a link saying that here is, uh, you know, the 10 billion gaming 
was just in revenue. Revenue doesn't equal profits. My store does so much in sales every year. That's not all direct profit. I had to pay yeah. money for the product I sold. I had to pay money for rent. I had to pay money, all this stuff. So then I just said, uh, and then I do admit this because as I was going through finding the links to shove it up this guy's butt, um, <laughs> I uh, mature. <laughs> I found out that there was one comment from the head of Microsoft saying that th- th- it was really weird. He said, he said, uh, our gaming business is now more than nine billion. This is from 2017, and growing profitably. I don't even know that profitably is a word. He said it's growing <laughs> profitably. So does that mean it's going to become profitable or it's become profitable or it, it has become? Like, what the hell does that even mean? And it, it, business, it means revenues are growing and growing profitably. It makes no sense. Well, so anyway, that's all it really came down to was this guy thinks that if you do $10 billion in revenue, you put $10 billion in the bank. Yeah. Which is just not accurate. So well, I'll again, just say, I don't care to know. <laughs> about how much profit Microsoft is making. Because we're not, like, this isn't a business-related podcast. Correct. This isn't This isn't the Motley Fool gaming podcast. <laughs> so, like, I don't I don't want to look at a Microsoft balance sheet. Yes. Like, I, I stopped looking at profit and loss statements when I stopped working for GameStop. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Uh, are they making games that I enjoy? Yes. All right. Are they going to go out of business? Uh, no? Okay, I'm cool with that. Right. Well, and it's even, like, I put links in there, too, saying how there were talks, and Bill Gates, like, shut the rumors down. Like, in it was, like, 2010 or something, they were like, we might even shut down the Xbox division. We might we might send it off somewhere else because it's not profitable. And that's what a big corporation that works on many other profitable things says. They trim the fat when you have a division that's not making money. It's like Sony, when they cut out their laptop division and they sold off the Vio division or whatever, like, they sold off parts that weren't profitable. In fact, Sony sold their whole corporate headquarters building. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they went to a smaller building because Sony was struggling so badly as a company. So anyway, I'm okay with comments, and I'm always okay with constructive criticism and if i'm wrong about something and someone brings it up to me i'm more than happy to accept when i'm wrong uh however if you're gonna come at me (laughs) then you better be right and he was not so anyway i just want to say we went on longer about that than i thought we would but basically yeah the uh we got our first piece of hate comment on a hate mail on youtube uh it will not be the last Uh, Uh, yeah we'll (laughs) see in the comments tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) if he listens to the whole podcast in podcast form he'll hear this if he doesn't he won't but anyway, we've got two stories we're going to talk about, and then John and I both have our pickup piles of the week set. We both have a game of the week, which we're going to talk about. And then John introduced an idea, which I do like, about asking me a question, uh, some sort of kind of a, an informative question, something along the lines of, hey, what's your favorite this? What, what would you do in that? And so we're going to do that. Um, I think we'll do that after we do the stories. We'll do that. And then we'll go into our pickup piles, games of the week. And then we'll be done. We'll I, most, I mostly want to do this because I have a really juicy answer on my side of things. Oh, and well. you know I'm going to throw it back it's, to Yeah, you. it's uh, self-serving, totally. Sure. <laughs> is it the banjo nuts and bolts story? Uh, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be. I, uh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. I'll say it for later. Um, but all right. So uh, uh, so here we go. We're just going to kick into it. And we're going to start talking about our first story, uh, well, right now. So first up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Jeff Keighley, who's quite frankly not my favorite person when it comes to games media, but it's fine. He's been in the industry a long time, doing a long time. He uh, He's the one in charge who created the Game Awards that are every December, which is becoming a pretty big deal. Uh, and he also uh, used to, anyway, do a lot uh, at E3. 
Uh, however, this year he made an announcement, which I also thought was kind of weird because it's not like he's really like he's not saying he's not a big part of it, but he's not like he's the head of it or anything. Uh, but Jeff Keighley said he won't be attending E3 2020 because he feels uncomfortable with plans for this year's event. So I'm going to read a little bit about the story. Uh, he told the Washington Post that covering, hosting, and sharing E3 has been a highlight of my year, not to mention a defining part of my career. While I want to support the developers who will showcase their work, I also need to be open and honest with you, the fans, about precisely what to expect from me. I've made the difficult decision to decline to produce E3 Coliseum. When asked why he decided to quit the show, Keeley said E3 so far had failed to evolve as an event, and he did not feel comfortable participating. It's no secret that E3 needs to evolve, and I have lots of ideas around that, but I've decided to take a wait-and-see approach. I'm looking forward to learning more about the ESA's vision for the show beyond what was in the blog post last week. Um, and so that's, that's really it. So Jeff Keeley, who's gone for 25 years... He's one of only three people that had gone to every single E3. The last two being Jeff Gersman of Giant Bomb okay. and uh, Andy McNamara. Okay. So those will be the other two that are still going, I believe, this year. So they're continuing the streak. But uh, so then I have to ask, John, I'm going to pose the question to you. One, should we care that Jeff Keighley is not going to E3? And two, will it really have any impact on the show itself? And three... Why do you think he's uncomfortable with the p current plans of the event? I don't know. This It just seems like piling on like the misfortune that E3 has had this last year to make this announcement. Like, I've never seen any Jeff Keighley content from E3. So... I, will have to, I have to admit it's usually when I have it on in the background, I would leave it on... Because I think I was it for IGN or was it it was some some or GameSpot I think or something. So anyway, someone like hosts it, okay. and he's there like doing interviews all day. And it was actually always really interesting because he'd get like Jack Trenton and he would okay. get like the big name like studio heads to come out. But you know, so I would I've definitely caught his stuff on there. But you, I, you didn't though. I was always working because I worked at for the last ten years. I worked at GameStop and. I, you couldn't take that week off. Like that's like Christmas for me, but I couldn't ever take it off. So I, I don't really remember that. I mean, I know I haven't been there since 2011, but I don't remember that at all. Like that week being that, that crazy back then. Yeah. Was I that a know. thing the, in the last couple of years? They the, did? D, the district managers were always like, they wanted you to be there and they hmm. wanted like, they wanted you to be able to like take pre-orders on whatever was announced at the time. Yeah. Which and, that system's changed a lot too. Cause I think even when I was there, I think they were just starting to implement where they could add things on the fly. You know, like before they had to go through the computers at GameStop are ancient. The system was ancient. Yeah. And so it had to update at the end of the night, any new SKUs that wanted to be added. So you couldn't do anything midday now they can just pop in the computer, right, or update What it? they did was, uh, at least a year ago, they would have, like, 20 blank named things. So it, it would say, untitled skew 1 through 20. And then, as the announcements were made, we would get an email that would say, hey, the new Call of Duty that they just announced is untitled skew 15. So if you want to make pre-orders for that game pre-order un untitled SKU 15 for the customer and then tomorrow they would change the name to the actual name interesting well that sounds like way more complicated than it needs to be it wasn't bad but, <laughs> but that's um, how they protected against leaks yeah because if they put all the <clears throat> titles in there then it, any surprise would be ruined it obviously. was it was kind of obvious for certain things though because you'd see like the untitled SKU 1 2 and 3 would be like 
$60, and then one of them would be $120, and then one of them would be like $200, and you'd be like, all right, that's definitely a collector's edition of some kind. Like, what's the five games that would have a $200 collector's edition right. that it might be that would be popular enough to that they would announce it? And that they would have, like, two collector's editions. Yeah, and, yeah that makes sense, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying, like, we never got off for those days, and so I never got to watch that much daytime E3 content. And I would imagine that's going to be 99% of most of the public is, like, I am deep into video games, and I'm not watching that crap. Yeah. So I can't imagine that most of the general public is seeing a lot of Jeff Keighley's content yeah. on, a, on a regular basis at E3. And, and ultimately, I had it on at the store. Yeah but it was just running like I would watch it when I could, but it was just a background thing. So right. I would catch it, but you're right. I, I think that's fair. So you're saying that a lot of people probably don't even watch his coverage of it. Cause there's obviously a lot of coverage. There's a lot of E3 coverage. Yeah. The, the thing I'm most surprised about is that he won't go period. Right. Like that to me is weird because what is he just going to be at home? Like, like right. what are you going to be doing that week? There's still very important crap being announced and being talked about during that week in his field, it seems like just a protest to not show up at all. Interesting. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm with you on that. And part of the, you know, when we were talking about this pre-show, I was mentioning, like, I still couldn't find out what made him uncomfortable. He hasn't said why he's uncomfortable going to E3. But we do know that there was a data breach uh, you know what? Actually, that's not even accurate. Because at first I said it was a doxing, and that's not really accurate because it wasn't a malicious release of content. It was a negligent release of content, which I don't know if that's part of the definition of doxing. I don't think so. Um, and it's not really a breach because it wasn't like someone hacked them and got the info. Basically, the ESA, which runs E3, had a database and had a list of all the inf the personal information of all the attendees. And a lot of the people that attend have themselves connected to their business files and stuff. So people were able to get their personal information. And it was on the E3 website, just not a link anywhere. But if you typed in a certain address, you could get there, is my understanding of the situation. So that was a big deal. A lot of, a lot of influencers and a lot of small indie sites, people had their personal information put out there. And obviously, we, as we know, the internet can be pretty awful sometimes. So that was a big deal. That's how I've been sending Andrea Renee flowers the, every week. <laughs> oh, nice. She's not said thank you once. I not, don't know what the hell her once? problem is. No. Oh, I'll bet she just threw them all away. Yeah. Uh, so that would make sense to me as to why he's uncomfortable. But like you were saying, what's the point of that except to pile on? And, and I, I almost wonder if it's, if it's a power play to try to get E3 to change. What we know about E3 this year is not a whole lot because they haven't officially said, but there was a leak. It was a pitch deck proposal, which doesn't necessarily mean that's what the show is going to be, but it was like a proposal of how can we make E3 different this year. Uh, and it was, let's see here what it says here. It says, E3 2020 will focus on being a, quote, fan, media, and influencer festival, end quote, rather than a trade show. But here's what I find funny about that. Because Jeff Keighley is doing a special live event at Gamescom this year, which arguably is it the largest game convention in the entire world at this yes. point. Like it has to be right. Yeah. So he's going to do something there, which is focused on well, media fans and influencers. Yeah. So he's not done with E3 because of the potential change that they talked about, because the change seems to be what he wants. 
more of a fan show. But maybe he's looking at it and saying, well, why would I go to this fan show when two months later I can go to the biggest one in the world? And and maybe he knows, maybe he's talked to developers and publishers who are saying, you know what, we're going to stop announcing things at E3 and we're going to start announcing them at Gamescom or whatever. It, it That, like... Stopping announcements at E3, though, to announce them two months later at Gamescom in August just seems really late to be starting the marketing for a game that might be coming out in September, October, November. You won't be able to do it for anything in the holiday. That's too late. It's too late to announce a pre-order in August, the end of August, and then say, hey, it's coming out in October. Like, that's not enough time to, you know, usually not enough time to to bust. But what's funny is pre-orders are down across the board, so I wonder if... They're not worried about that so much anymore. But yeah. I, w- I, but the thing is too, and the same thing with E3. You don't typically see a game announced at E3 2020 that's going to come out in fall of 2020. It's usually announced if it's the first time you're hearing about it. It's not coming out that year. Well, not it usually. used to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. Now everything's getting delayed to all hell. Like yeah. Sony announces a game, then it comes out like four years later. <laughs> so I, I guess if I was going to answer the first part of the question, like, should we care? I think it's substantial. He's a pretty big figure. Personally, like I said, I'm not really a fan of Jeff Keighley, but I can't deny the fact that he has a big fan base and that he's been involved in this industry for that long. So I think there is something to be said there that I do think it matters. But I, I, I like what you said. I really feel like it's it just feels like a weird pile-on at this point. Like, there was no reason to make it public. Yeah. Unless it's a power play to try to get E3 to change. It could be, too, that they wanted him to do something differently or didn't want his... Maybe maybe the type of show he was doing wasn't going to be allowed anymore. Maybe they were going to change how everything worked, and that was his way of saying, not only am I not going to come to your show then, I'm going to make a big deal out of it as a power play. Because now, you know, things can change. Marketing changes instantly. In, like, a month, he could come out and say, oh, by the way... You know, E3, they, they, they listened, ESA listened, E3 is going to be different. We're going to have our show there anyway. And, you, I mean, you can do that. There's plenty of time to do yeah. that. I don't think they will. Well, he, he spent the rest of the day after he made the announcement retweeting people that were talking about him not going. Yes. So, like, he was kind of throwing throwing flames onto the fire. He, he, like, yeah, he was uh, throwing red, red meat in the water. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I, that, that was a little – that was kind of a bad look, you know. Uh, so – do you think then let's go to the next question that since I threw out the three initially, but the next question was, will it have an effect on E3 as a whole? Like Jeff Keighley not being there, will it stop anyone from watching? I don't think so. No, not anyone um, that wasn't going to watch anyway. Right. Uh, like I would, I'm still going to watch E3 um, coverage. Like I, I'm not sure where he wants E3 to go. Like, I don't know if he wants it to be more open to public and and more about fan experience because I've been to E3 in 2005. You went in 2006, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what what your experience was at E3, but going in 2005, <laughs> not super positive. Me neither. <laughs> like so I went I got badges. I was working for a local comic book store at the time, and we totally lied to to E3 and said that I uh, that we sold video games. We did not, uh, but they gave me a badge, Beautiful. and I still have it. That's um, awesome. I have my E3 badge yeah. still. And I used to have it on the back of my GameStop name tag. Actually, I nice. put it behind it and then like had it clipped to my. I think I used yeah. it for my GameStop uh, name tag a couple times. But uh, so I went, and my experience was everything is behind closed doors. Yep. Like every damn thing you'd want to see was behind closed doors, including crap that that released every year. Like 
I was a big Tony Hawk uh, fan uh, before they started making the really, really crappy ones. Uh, and America's Wasteland was going to be that year's Tony Hawk game. And so I was like, oh my god, I get to play the Tony Hawk game before it comes out. This is going to be amazing. And so I went straight to the Tony Hawk booth. They had a giant, like, cartoon graffiti booth. And it was a frickin' room that you had to be part of press or part of the industry to even walk into. So I couldn't even walk into their booth. And that was the experience with most things. And when you were when you went to booths, you'd see people look at your name tag and look at that it said retail on it. And they don't give a crap about you, and they it, don't want to talk to you. It's so funny you said that, because I, I talked about my E3 experience a few podcasts ago, and you brought it up to me, and you said, that's the exact same experience I had. Yeah. And so when I went in 06, I was still at GameStop at the time, and I don't know how GameStop... I think GameStop just bought a bunch of badges, and then I think that a bunch of people in corporate didn't use them or something. I'm not quite I, sure. I think that used to be free, because I didn't have to pay anything. We didn't have to pay for that. I just yeah. had to use my own vacation to go, but I did get the pass Well, I'm free. saying when I went through the comic book store, uh, we oh. didn't have to pay anything. Like, it was totally free. Oh, okay. Well, cool. But in any case, like, GameStop must have reserved a bunch of passes right. and somehow didn't use them all. And so they opened it up to store managers, and they picked if you wanted to go, they were going to give it to people based on tenure. Well, I went with Brent, Josh Zapata. So it was Brent, Sops, Janine, and me. Okay. And Mike, actually. So, like, the five of us went out to uh, California to go to E3. And this was like a dream come true for me. Like as someone who loves video games, and it was '06. It was the it was before the PS3 and the Wii launch. Okay. So we got a special Wii hands-on demo and all this other stuff. And it was, I think it was technically the year before Metal Gear Solid 4 came out. So they had just dropped the Raiden trailer at E3. Though, okay. Where he's like slicing up all the geckos and everything, and it's like, it, oh, it's just the baddest ass thing on the whole planet. And I'm a Metal Gear freak, because everyone here knows. And so I watched. I went back every hour on the hour to watch it on the big screen at the Konami booth. I just kept going back. But you're 100% right. Everything's behind closed doors. I got to see like a special behind the scenes Spore thing. Like when Spore was coming <laughs> out, it was like, oh, and it was like the most magical game in the world, except just it wasn't. Dick you know? monsters. Just sucked. <laughs> And uh, but they let it was like a closed door thing though, and they let they were pulling people in, be like, "Hey, we still have some room if you want to see it." And I was like, "A closed door thing," and it's please a little room come and, in. And oh, watch it, was, this. it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and and I remember walking up and down and like talking to somebody for a while, and I thought I was showing them respect by listening to their spiel. And I would sit there and talk to them a little bit, and I'm like, "Oh, what's this? It's really cool. What is this? What is this?" And then they'd see your badge, like you said, that you had a special like color or strip or something that said retail mine or was, buyer it was green was mine yeah I, I i don't know i want to say it just said something like buyer on it or something like okay that. so as soon as they saw that they were like oh you work for gamestop you know and they were <laughs> like they didn't want to talk to you because yeah. i was a nobody to them i was just a gamestop store manager who couldn't help them and so that was my experience really the whole time and yes when you go on the show floor there's a lot of cool stuff to look at i remember playing the demo for guitar hero 2 i played the ps3 before it came out i played the wii even though that was actually kind of a weird scenario too the uh so we had to wait in line for like an hour for a special. And this was actually like a GameStop only. They had arranged for only GameStop people to check out this Wii demo from like okay. 2 to 2.30. So we're waiting outside. We're like sitting down waiting for us our turn to go in. And we go in and there's a whole bunch of like E3 booth babes in the Nintendo nice. room. And as so they finally <laughs> open it up. We all walk in and we're like, oh, cool. And like the Wii was really magical at that point still. So it's not it wasn't the dumpster fire that like it is for a hardcore gamer now. Like at the time it was really magical. And so we start looking around we're like, oh, wow. And like you just and it, it was weird. Like it was a booth that was 
all closed off. Like there was an entrance and an exit. Okay. So you walked in, it was almost like a maze. And there was like, here's a couch and here's a demo. Here's another couch to the different demo. And like, they had Dragon Ball Budokai 2, I think was the one that they had playable. They had, uh, I remember playing like, um, they had Legend of Zelda set up, Twilight okay. Princess. And they had a bunch of others, you know, like Wii Sports, obviously. And so... Like we walk, I start walking around. I'm like, oh, and I like go to pick up a controller, and she's like, I'm sorry, um, you can't play that. This is a closed event. And I was like, oh, so I was like, okay, that's weird. And so I like walk to something else, and I'm I'm going to play. And like, I'm sorry, but we're not. You can't try anything out. We're having a closed event. And I'm like, well, who's the? Cl-? And I said this. I'm like, well, who's the closed event for? Because I'm pretty sure I just waited in line to get into this. And they were like, oh, is this the GameStop thing? And so they're like, oh, yes, I'm sorry. And then they let us all in. It was really warm, but it was such a weird. <laughs> it was such a weird. Uh, scenario like how they just kind of botched it you yeah. know and and so it didn't feel very welcoming and that's kind of how all of e3 felt for me i didn't feel very welcome and after that first day we didn't go back we just did stuff around la okay you know like we went to dark horse comic book store and like we did a whole bunch of cool stuff that i was like <laughs> you know like we didn't go back to e3 and and i should have been there like two or three full days and i only went for the one day and i mean part of it too was the other people didn't like brent didn't want to go back yeah <laughs> brent's not going to go he's like 900 yeah. years old <laughs> a grizzled old man well he man. was 900 years old in 2006 <laughs> he's now always he's, been 900 now, now, years old <laughs> now he's 900 and 914 uh i can't believe it was 14 years ago what was the um, coolest thing you saw at at e3 when you went it was it was the Metal Gear demo because okay. that was the first time I saw like that trailer and I saw it on the big screen and they had like a projector on the wall. Okay, I'm talking like twenty foot by twenty foot, like it was just huge and it was awesome. So I would say that and then playing the two player Guitar Hero two demo. Okay, because I loved Guitar Hero, I was so into Guitar Hero, but I always said, man, this game be so awesome two player and you could play bass and lead. Uh, except unfortunately they had it was the same demo that we got in the stores eventually. Okay, and of like the three songs you could play. One of them's War Pigs, which is a, a Black Sabbath song that's, I believe, 11 minutes long or 10 <laughs> minutes long. And so, like, you're watching the intro, and it's impossible to fail because it's easy. Okay. So you're just sitting in line, and everyone's playing War Pigs so they can play as long as you want. <laughs> so I stood in line, I think, for an hour to play the first time, and I think I waited an hour to play the second time. Oof. But, hey. See, know. I was never, like, I'm not a waiting in line to play games guy. It, it was the only one I waited to play. It's, it's funny because <laughs> as obsessed with video games as I am, the idea of sitting in a line to play a game that I'm going to be able to play six months from now, mm-hmm. just I have zero patience for it, so I don't do it. We're very different. I, as, if I can get any opportunity to play something before someone else just to say that I did it, yeah. I would totally be like, like bragging about that. I don't know what the hell Zelda game was at the E3 I was at. But there was a Zelda game that they had, like, just announced, and, like, the line was, like, five hours long. It must have been Twilight Princess. I think it was. Wii, yeah, yeah and I was, I looked at it, and I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going near that line. <laughs> um, and so I didn't play it. But the most impressive thing that I saw was actually, I saw the Alan Wake demo, like, four years before that game came out. Because nice. that game, like, they showed it off in 2005. And in 2005... The, the the thing that they showed off really was uh, he's in the middle of town and he's at like a um, a playground and there's like this big weather storm that blows through and so you see all the swings flying around and you see like debris start kicking up and the effects on the character and then it goes away and, and then the sun comes out and it was really really neat and I was like damn that game looks amazing I can't wait to play that and then like five years later it finally came out yeah and then like none none of the crap I saw in that demo was in the <laughs> game it, yeah but that game is really good yeah I, that, that was one of those games that really uh 
that really people don't realize how much development hell that went through. Yeah. <laughs> like that was really close, I think, to not coming out. But like I so back to the whole like E three and what it's changing into, like I feel like developers probably don't I, I would think that they wouldn't want a bigger influx of the general public that's not not developers and not press coming in. Because I feel like what E3 is is a place for them to network and to meet developers, to meet to sell their game to the public via a uh, a news source uh, or a website or whatever, and figure out their next project, sell their next project to yeah. their next publisher, not to have a bunch of rubes come in and be like, I really like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Us both working in the industry, like I'm still in, that you were in for a long time. Yeah. Like we see that a lot too. Like you see, and it's it like the average, and when I say like average gamer, if you're listening to this gaming podcast, you're not an average gamer. You're an above average gamer because you're listening to a gaming podcast. So let's just get, let's get that straight right away. So I don't want you to think I'm insulting you. The average gamer though, there is a, not a level of understanding of how things work, whether it's the person who was in our YouTube comments you know, uh, last week, or if it was like, people just don't, and, and not that they have to, you can enjoy something and not be totally obsessed with it. I like comic books. I don't dig into all the rarity and collecting and all this, like yeah. who wrote this and who drew this. Like, I just like look at a cover. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then I feel ripped off when I open it up and it's different art on the inside, you know? Uh, but I think what developers and publishers have learned is that what they were doing at E3 was, they were basically wooing journalists so that they would woo us. And they've realized that they can just woo us because what was tricky was how to get your message out to people. The invention, obviously with the, the way the internet's grown and social media's grown, those companies, instead of spending whatever godly amount it is to ungodly amount, I should say to have an E3 booth, you can just blast social media, make a bunch of ads, do a high production video and spam it all over the place and boost it. And that's going to get to just as many people as the person from this website covering the game and then blasting it to all the people that read that website. So I, th I think technology and society evolved. And so then the companies are just finally realizing that they don't need that middleman anymore, which kind of sucks because obviously certain journalists become personalities who people like to enjoy watching and listening to. But we're also seeing the shift from game journalism to game influencing which is the whole term influencers like social media influencers like they're not journalists they're not held to any sort of journalistic integrity they just have opinions and people listen to their opinions yeah and so that's i think they'd rather uh, like e3 thinks that that's what is going to be better than just trying to invite a bunch of news sites you know have a youtuber with 10 million subscribers as opposed to a writer for kotaku who gets 10 million impressions on their site yeah, you know, like I mean, that's I think that's how they're starting to evaluate it. You know? Like the kind of funny, they used to be all reviewers from different different mm -hmm. magazines and different websites, and now they don't review anything. They just get together and they have a podcast and they yep. talk about games, and that's their their product. So yeah, yeah, they're not really really doing journalism anymore. They're kind of just doing let's plays and stuff like that. Yeah, which which I think, and, and I say this all the time on this podcast, like when I do my Greg Talk videos for YouTube that ultimately come from this podcast, 
like I'm not a journalist. I hold myself to zero journalistic integrity because I'm an opinionist. I'm just giving my opinion on what I read. And so I give credit to the articles we read and I give credit to the sources when I have a source of a site or a something. And then I just say, Hey, that's where I heard about it. Now I'm going to tell you my take on it. It's never, you know, like being a journalist is more difficult. You know, you have to, you don't have to worry about throwing something out there that's wrong and then having to walk it back. It's easy for me to say something stupid and then pull it back. Yeah. You know, if I'm a journalist and I write a huge article about it and it gets printed and then it's like, oh, I was wrong. I didn't check my sources. Then eesh, that's a lot like more difficult. Like that's your job on the line. Me, I mean, this isn't my job. So my job's not on the line. And an influencer is a lot of the times I think the people that love you don't care if you're wrong or not. Right. They just want to listen to you. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see where E3 goes. I, I'm, I feel the same way I do about GameStop. And I know you feel this way about GameStop, I think, too. But I feel about the E3 and the ESA just like I feel about GameStop. I don't want it to go away. I want it to get better, you know? And, and I know um, that people will disagree with me on that, especially in the GameStop part. And it's okay if you don't like them. And if they've wronged you in some way, like I get it. As a corporate, I know they're not super popular. But we should want bad companies that we liked at one time to get better again, not have them go away. And not just because we love it, but because you've got thousands of people work there. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I think GameStop in, brings in a lot of games into this area that yeah. we live in and that helps me buy the people that buy it there and then they sell it to me and then i sell it to someone else like that they're part of the ecosystem i've always felt that they're part of the ecosystem and i would like to see i don't want to see that ecosystem shift because if they go away and people start buying all the games at walmart and best buy i might still get those in but are people gonna stop buying as much physical because their favorite store gamestop has closed Probably. Yeah. They may not even know that Walmart has games. You'd be surprised when people like don't know that Walmart has games. And I don't know if you've known this. The Walmarts are selling all their new games like 20% off. You can go to Walmart right now and get any $60 game for 49 bucks in our area. I don't know if it's nationwide yeah. or not. So, I, so I still it's, don't like buying games at Walmart. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not a fan of shopping at Walmart in general just because I don't like them. But, you know, yeah. you know, And Best Buy had the Gamer Club Unlock, which was amazing yeah. for the two years I had it. And then they banned me from it. That's fine. I just i I don't like wall- buying stuff at Walmart just because it's hard to find, like where they put the games and, like I don't know their their selections garbage usually. Mm. That's that's the reason I don't want GameStop to go anywhere. Is that like a lot of the weird little niche titles? Yeah, you never see at Walmart. You're not gonna see. Nissa's Penny Punching Princess for the Switch at yeah. Walmart. You'll see it at Target because Target's willing to dabble a little bit more in that niche stuff. But as far as Walmart goes, you're not going to see it. Yeah. And like, um, uh, I bought two games that are in my pickup pile of the week this week, and they were not at Best Buy. They were not at at Walmart. I only was able to find them on one of them I got from Amazon, and the other one I got from GameStop. So. Like, Mm -hmm. being able to walk into a store and buy a title that came out that week without running around a million stores not knowing if they're going to have it is a nice convenience that GameStop has. They're probably going to get at least one game that came out that day. Yeah, the only problem is that they take the one copy they get and then they open it. Yeah. (laughs) And then they put, like, a ton of stickers all over it now, just like the old EB days. Now, I was the nice manager, and I peeled all those goddamn stickers off, Mm -hmm. like, because I was... I'm expert at it. So you actually, you, you did teach me like the quick snap, which yes. doesn't work anymore. Like it works on certain revisions of the GameStop stickers, <laughs> but every now and then I get like that, that wrist flick 
it's like bam it's one of my few like few videos i have uploaded on youtube is a like three second video of me ripping a sticker off of a like (laughs) professional farmer game for ps4 nice uh, so yeah, I guess we'll have to see where E3 goes from here. I, again, I don't want to go away. I just want to get better. I, I, I wish we could go back in time and not have all those people have their information, you know, thrown out there. Obviously, the ESA does too, you know. But we should always want them to do better, not just go away. I guess that's how I always feel about. It. And the, the name E3 has power. There's a lot of equity there in that name. A lot of people wait for that time of year, and they, they, that's their week. Like I mean, you hear stories of people taking off the week off of work and like watching it all and blah blah i mean i i would never do that to watch a show i mean i've done that to to play a game but yeah you know it's a big deal and i I just want them to get better or sell the name off to jeff Keeley and let him run it or put him in charge (laughs) of it you know i mean he can organize stuff he knows what he's doing let him handle it turn it more into a like a a celebration of games as opposed to like a marketing pitch to sell games you know i think that's where they have to kind of find you know, that that's what all these things are, like PAX and Gamescom and even the Tokyo Game Show. Like, those were always, those were always, like, fan fests that they would make announcements at. E3 was always, this is a business convention that will let some fans in, finally. You know, like, yeah. It was uh, just a different attitude. PAX, I don't see a lot of announcements, because there's so many PAX conferences yes. that they don't really do many announcements. I do, I would say, if you want to go to a video game convention, go to a PAX. Uh, especially over an E3. Because uh, I, I feel like PAX's, the developers that go to PAX, they want to talk to the people that are going to come up to them at the booth. They want to tell you about their games. They're excited to see their fans. They're not going to look at you like you don't matter. Right. Whereas you are going to get more of that attitude at an E3. So if you're going to spend $1,000 to go to a video game convention, go to PAX. Yeah, I um, totally agree with that, yeah. I just got to decide which one I want to go to. Probably PAX South I would go to. Yeah, Pack South, like, and isn't South is South by Southwest around that time or? I'm not sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to do in like the Austin, yeah. Texas area that seems like it'd be a pretty good one. I to haven't, go haven't to. been to Texas since uh, we had the GameStop conferences there. Were Were you <laughs> at the one where the elevator escalators broke, or was that a couple oh, yeah. years later? Uh, I don't know if that was at Texas. That was, uh, I think that was San Antonio. I went to. Oh, I was in there for San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, I was there for that. Okay. Uh, that was still a big boy then too, you know, like, uh, so that was, uh, that was rough, man. That Texas heat, you know, and no, no escalators working. <sighs> Old Greggy was sweating. It. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully E3 could turn it around and, uh, we'll see. They're going to do an official announcement when they finally just dis- display what the show is going to be. Um, the leak that came out isn't guaranteed, but it obviously was something that they were thinking about. So I do have a list of the, the companies that committed to them going to E3 this year because after Jeff Keighley said he was out, uh, they released a press release that said, hey, these 10 companies are still going. Um, So those companies that are guaranteed going to be there are Xbox, Nintendo, Bethesda, Ubisoft, Sega, Capcom, Square Enix, uh, Take-Two, which is Rockstar Games and 2K Games, uh, Bandai, Namco, and Warner Brothers, and they better announce a damn Batman game. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Otherwise, why the hell are they going to be there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make another Cars game? Shadow of Mordor 3? <laughs> that, that series is dead. Yeah, it's toast. It's <laughs> I toast. loved the first one, but they fumbled the second one so bad that they're dead. <laughs> so next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about uh, what the internet has dubbed as the Nintendo PlayStation, 
really it's the Sony PlayStation, but the one that was a co-opted project with Nintendo. It was going to be a CD-based add-on with a Super Nintendo port in it. So, you know, if you don't know, quickly we'll just talk about it. It was a, it was a project that Sony was working with Nintendo on. Nintendo ultimately went back on the deal, went with Philips instead, uh, licensing some of their properties to Philips, like, uh, and that we got the beautiful Zelda CDI games, Hotel, uh, Hotel Mario, Mario, just some real trash. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't successful. Uh, and then years ago, someone who had apparently bought out a, I don't know if it was a storage locker or had bought like an estate sale or something. Uh, I looked into this. Okay, go ahead. So and it's me with it. weird. Um, so it, it's actually on the auction site. They talk about where it came from. So a higher up guy in Sony. Yeah, I knew that. Left yep. Sony and went to work for some small company, and he had the Sony PlayStation like in his office. And he was only at this smaller company for like a year, and then he left, and he left that PlayStation prototype in that office. And so... So he had it on his desk as like a display piece. I guess. And so that company went out of business, and they had an auction where they sold off everything that was in the building, and that was one of the items that was in the building... And so somebody bought that lot of, like, probably old computers and, like, office hardware, and then they stumbled across right. a prototype and, and, for one of the rarest consoles ever made. Yeah, and it had been in, like, an attic of the guy who bought it, and I think it was his son who found it. Yeah. Or something, and then obviously, sure. I remember I remember when the f- pictures were first shared. I remember coming across it on Reddit and being like, whoa, 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 like, is this, this I mean, we knew that the, that the idea was there and that they were working on such a thing. Right. To actually see one. That was like actually there, and the best part is it's uh yeah it's got some yellow fading. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that I, I don't know what that plastic has in it that makes it happen, but I have never had a Super Nintendo fade on me like that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if it's like smoke damage. It's usually a reaction to sunlight, UV okay. light. So if you had it in a spot where it was not exposed to UV light and it was always down. It was probably okay. Okay. Um, and, and it wasn't everything. Oftentimes that's why certain parts didn't, some didn't, it was a chemical reaction in okay. the plastics. Um, so anyway, uh, we were talking about this, uh, because it finally went up for auction. So they've decided that because for the last couple of years, they've been taking it on a tour of all the different gaming expos and showing it off. Well, the father and son combo who own it apparently, have been going into debt, taking it around the U.S. and showing it off, which yeah. I think is really, really stupid uh, because obviously people weren't paying them very much to bring this, and in fact they were paying them so little that they were spending their own money to go show it off. Now, to be fair, that was building a lot of equity in this thing because showing it around for the last four years got a lot of hype, got a lot of people excited about it. Did you see it at? Uh, did you go to Midwest Gaming Class while it, it was there? I saw it um, in the flesh. You know? I think, I, I, and that I was did the as year well. You and I went at the same year before they moved to the new venue. That was yeah. the year. The new venue is awesome, by the way. It is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Very um, much so. it, Funny thing, uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic is in Milwaukee every year. Uh, for like the last five years, it was in a tent outside of a garbage hotel, and uh, it was in. It's in April, which is not the warmest month, and it usually rained, and then. Uh, last year, they got the Wisconsin Center, which is like right smack dab downtown. It is a huge location. Yep, it's right next to Pfizer Forum, which is the Bucks Arena. Yeah, and- they're paying like the same amount of money to get the Wisconsin Center as they were to rent that garbage that, tent. <laughs> that that hotel, the original one it was in, they, they ran out of room and they didn't have enough meeting rooms. 
So they would take the doors off of hotel rooms and, or not take the door, they would take the beds out. Yep. And then that, uh, a normal hotel room without a bed in it became a meeting room. So yes. you'd have like, oh, hey, this is my new prototype game. Check it out. And you're like, because I remember walking into a few and being like, this is weird. You walk in, because you know how it is. You walk into a hotel room on the left is your, your bathroom. And you walk in, you see a few people in there like with beers in their hand. You're like, am I allowed to come in here? Yeah, like, it was very I, awkward. And then people were like, yeah, come on in. And it was cool because they'd have game systems set up. And maybe they had made a – like there were some people that were making NES reproduction games. And they were like, check out our reproductions. And they had Nintendo hooked up to old CRTs. It was awesome. Yeah. It was I'm... really awesome. But what a dumpy, small hotel. And when you when John's referring to the tent, he's referring to the vendor area. So this was the area where all the vendors who were selling stuff were. They were under a tent with huge holes in it. Then was like dripping water all over everything. It was crazy that that it, was a thing. But. There wasn't really water that I that got onto any of the product, but it was like the you were in a parking lot, so like the water would be like you'd be walking through puddles of water yeah. to get to like the next booth. Yeah. It so was, yeah, the the new location is definitely good, and I think the the getting back to the Sony PlayStation or Nintendo PlayStation thing, I think a large amount of what they probably went into debt doing was having security there the entire time probably because they had it under like a big plexiglass box and they usually had a security guard pretty close yeah, by the entire time you'd have to wonder like you think that would be provided by the the, the place it you should know? Be. Like, like 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 midwest gaming classic should have paid for security to guard this thing because they got to have like this holy grail item on display and it wasn't yeah. like it was somewhere really hard to get to it was literally when i saw it it was in a hallway yep like out in the hallway on like a pedestal with a big plexiglass thing around it, like you said, you know. So, but anyway, the reason we're talking about it today is because it's finally up for auction. So they finally decided to sell this thing, and we were jokingly talking about it earlier in the week when this went on sale. And we started to we 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 decided we were going to say, you know, what we think it's going to end at. And at that time, I believe it was at thirty thousand dollars, roughly. Uh, it was uh, actually, when it first listed, it was like thirteen grand. Yeah. Like the first article I saw was like, "You can buy the Sony Nintendo PlayStation for thirteen grand." Yeah. I'm like, "It's not buy it now, morons." Who yeah. wrote this article? <laughs> well, I saw, I saw when it was at about twenty five thousand. I know it's going to sell for way more than that. But I thought, you know what? I really want to bid on this. Like, I really wanted to put a bid in and just be like, I put a bid on the. Did you really? Did you bid or no? No, because okay. I didn't want to register in the stupid auction site. Yeah, I, I got discouraged now, because it's such a stupid process. If if it was on eBay. And you could bid on it without dealing with mm-hmm. heritage auctions. Of course. Uh, how much? What is your ceiling? What would you have? I would have probably put like forty thousand on it. Okay. Yeah, I I, I could see paying forty thousand for it, and if I and I knew that wouldn't win though. Like, if I was gonna put a bid, I thought I could realistically win. I wouldn't have had enough money for that. You know, like I knew this thing was gonna go for more than six figures. Right. Um, which spoiler. Um. <laughs> so I I had originally said. Two hundred fifty thousand. That's what I said was my yeah. original number. And I said four hundred to six hundred. You said four hundred to six hundred thousand. And right now, it's currently sitting at three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Which technically, when you factor in the awful uh, uh, buyer's, buyer's fees, yeah. uh, I'm I'm winning that <laughs> that guessing bet. Yep. Oh yeah, you're you're right on the money. So right what now. are they? What do they tack on on top of this? So. On Heritage Auctions, which if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know my hatred for Heritage runs deep. Uh, I also um, don't like them and have many, <laughs> many a conspiracy theory about them. So uh, they have buyer's premium, which adds 20% of the successful bid per lot, which means it goes from 350000 
If you win the bid at 350000 you have to pay $420,000. You have to pay an extra $70,000 to Heritage Auction if you're the winning bidder. Which is the weirdest thing ever. Like, I don't know if that's how real auction houses work. It's not. But, like, imagine if this thing went for a million dollars, it would you'd have to throw in another $200,000 to take it home. Like that's insane, and it's so bizarre to tack that on top of your all your bid that you're already making. And I I right. honestly think that that's probably what is would be killing people bidding it higher. Well, what's what's strange about it too is that there should be realistically, there should be a a cap on that twenty percent. Yeah. Because if they if they sell it for a million dollars, they just make two hundred thousand dollars off the sale of this item. I mean, that seems crazy to me. Now, they can do business however they want, John. You know, yeah. It's their business. And and obviously, they're going to make at least $70,000 on this. But it's pretty wild to, to see it. Because when you think about eBay, seller pays those fees. Um, when you think about, like, an auctioneer, like, when you buy something at auction, like, say you're there in your bid and it's like, oh, $1, $1, $5, $10, oh, we got $10, $20. When you do an auction, the person who's selling the item, part of the money they get from that goes to the auctioneer. I don't bid a hundred dollars and then the auctioneer goes, all right, sold. You owe me 120 bucks. And then they take the 20 and give the full hundred. Now it's obviously set up by whoever's selling the item. I'm pretty sure that's how it works yeah. because if it wasn't buyer's premium, it would be coming out of the seller's end. Either way, the auction house is going to get their cut. Right. So it doesn't really matter whose end it comes out of, except knowing what this thing's going to sell for. Did it really matter who, who ends up paying for it? Because they're factoring the price in right on the site. So if someone's maximum was 420,000, they're only going to bid to three hundred fifty thousand because they have to pay the seventy thousand dollar buyer's premium. I kind of wonder if it, they're almost doing it as like a small, crappy, fine print that they're hoping you don't read. Oh, maybe. I mean, it's right in here. Although when I saw a buyer's premium, for some reason, I thought, oh, that's some sort of benefit to buyers if you <laughs> click on this. Like, no, it is not a benefit. Uh, did you hear who might be one of the high bidders on this thing? Uh, is it one of the Oculus guys? Yeah, Palmer. He he, he is Palmer Lucky. He is currently the top bidder. Right he is. Now. Can you actually? Does it actually say his name? It or? doesn't say it on here, but uh, Jordan looked it up for me earlier. Okay, I was talking to him about it. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as I know, it's him. If anyone's got the money to do it, it it's him. So, what we want to do then is we obviously are having fun talking about this, but we want to pick what we think it's actually going to end at. So, John, now that we know the number it's at as of the time of the podcast. You get to uh, alter your suggestion if you'd like, or you can stick with it. Now, I'd like to cut the range down a little bit. Let's do a range of 100,000 Okay. Since we're, um, in, since we're as high as we are. So I don't know if it's going to suddenly shoot up at the end. Because uh, like, I don't see this being an eBay situation where suddenly there, there's going to be 50 people at the end of the thing bidding it up. Yes, although this is something to, to understand. So proxy bidding ends on March 6th. Okay. So that's when people can no longer bid through the site. Okay. Then, till March 8th, are the actual auction dates. Which means after this is done with the proxy bids, it's going to go to the floor. Okay. And that will give another opportunity for people to be in person and bid it higher. That's such a weird way to do this. This is very strange <laughs> to me. Um, but yes, so the proxy bidding ends in 17 days, 17 hours, 20 minutes, and 14 seconds. What is the point of even running it on the website? <laughs> advertising (laughs) this whole thing like we've talked about that with heritage auctions i mean the 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 advertising like everything they do is to manipulate 
like their own popularity. Yeah. It's it's all a big circle jerk. These guys, Wada, it's the same thing. Like it's all about the the, the um the million dollar Super Mario's on Pawn Stars. The yeah. whole thing, man, it's all connected. Now I kinda wonder if uh they're gonna continue this advertising circle jerk and buy it themselves. Because the uh a conglomerate of the guys that were working at or that own the auction house and own Wada bought the that Mario cartridge, didn't they? Yeah, so the uh the Mario Kart cart the sealed Super Mario early print run uh was a group of three people, one of which uh is involved at Heritage Auctions, yes. Yeah. Um so I'm kinda curious if, if that's gonna happen again or if somebody outside of that is that or outside of the Well and the the weird thing circle. though about that Mario Brothers is that was not on Heritage Auctions. That that was like a private sale. Okay. But and these three people, one from WADA, one from Heritage, and one the other and the third guy bought it in private sale. Okay. But they were also the ones that rated it. Too, they were basically yes, yes. WADA WADA graded it and then the people from WADA knew the person had it and then had started talks to buy it and then they needed the money backing and yada yada yeah. yada. So So I So let's hear it. Where do you think this whole thing's gonna end? Uh I'm gonna guess seven hundred and fifty grand. Seven hundred and fifty grand. So do you want to say between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand? That's what you're saying? Uh yeah. Okay. Whew, all right. So we gotta write this down so we know <laughs> we'll keep a live tracker of as, as it goes up. So John's saying seven between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars. Um, man, I like that number. Man, I like that a lot. I think it's gonna fizzle. I think I think it I think it peaked already, and I think there's only a few people in the world that would pay this kind of money in the U.S. that would pay this kind of money for this thing. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit lower. I'm gonna go a little bit underneath you, and I'm gonna say six hundred to seven hundred thousand. I feel like I feel like the initial push was really big. And then we're gonna see a few jumps of like fifty thousand here, fifty thousand there, but I think I think it's gonna stay this price until proxy bidding's over. Do you think Palmer Lucky will end up winning it? I mean, maybe. Do I, I don't know. That's tough to say. I mean, who, it, the thing is, we don't know the other players. We don't know who else is waiting around. Like, there's people right now booking their flights to be live at this auction in three weeks. That's crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be wild. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to say that I'm going to say 600 to 700,000 words. It's going to cap. You're saying 700 to 800,000. Yeah. We'll see who's right. It really doesn't matter. We're, we're both winners. So it doesn't really matter because it's our podcast and we're, we, we, we win. Um, but it is, a, it is, I don't want to downplay the significance of this device. It's so cool. I just want the controller that says Sony PlayStation on it when it's a super Nintendo controller with the Euro colored buttons, yeah. the blue, green, red, and yellow. I love that controller. I'd pay. I'd pay a lot of money for just the controller. <laughs> Actually, if I were them, I probably would have split it up, sold the controller separately. <laughs> um, but it's super cool, and it's such a neat piece. But it, like, the, the the Super Nintendo port works on it. You can play Super Nintendo games on it. Okay. But why? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of you know, I feel like this whole thing is really cool and obviously there's an art collector and a game collector out there who's going to be like you know what i got the money for this i'm gonna do it and if i had say i won the lottery tomorrow and i had the 500 million dollar i'd probably i'd consider it maybe maybe i'd throw a million dollars at this stupid thing to try to get it 
I probably would too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's that cool of a piece. But you know what I would do if I had that kind of money? No joke. I would buy it and then I would put it on loan to a museum, like yeah. the video game historical society, whatever. I would just let them like keep it, but it's still mine. And then anytime I want, I could be like, you know what? I'm going to take that back because really at my house, it's going to be sitting in a vault. You know, it's not going to be being played or anything like that. You know, uh, I'd play mother on it or, uh, <laughs> mother two on <laughs> nice. <it. laughs> uh, but it is a really cool piece of a possibility of what if, you know, because arguably, this was the split into kind of where modern gaming is right now. So you had Nintendo and Sega. Nintendo thought about getting the upper hand. Sony's thinking about getting into the game market. Part of the issue of the Fallout 2, I don't know how much you've like looked into it or how much you know about the backstory, John, but like part of the Fallout came was that Sony wanted to keep the rights to all the software they made for the Nintendo PlayStation or whatever. It okay. was a lot it was a lot like they wanted to have rights to specific things and Nintendo's like, "Hey, if you make games for our hardware, it's going to be our hardware, you know, yada yada." There was a lot of like issues like that. Which like, is not ironic specifically, but cuz they gave a sweeter deal to Philips when they made that piece of garbage console. Well, and what's funny <laughs> is there was like no collaboration on that. They just let them use their licenses to make games, which, you know, sent shivers down people's spines which is also the only reason i own a philip cdi yeah. is, is for those garbage games i don't even have one Man, I, <laughs> I have one thing. but uh i i have owned very few burned games i probably have less than like five mm-hmm. and one of them is uh the zelda's adventure game for cdi because those games are so ungodly expensive oh, they're terrible too yeah. like everyone yeah, actually when i bought that last february when i bought that game store out uh, he had a whole CD binder full of burned CDI games. <laughs> I should have given them to you. I didn't know you had a CDI. There's uh, the the one good thing that Donfather Games has is they have uh, one of the, I don't know if it's one of Gamelian or the other one. They had a CDI oh, nice. game yeah. at their store, and it's like, oh man, 150 bucks. My wife would be so angry if I brought that home. <laughs> well, she'd never know. She'd just see the negative 150 bucks in the bank account. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, well, that's why you go to the ATM, just pull out the cash, and then that way you just be like, I, I need an yeah, emergency fix. Uh, no, you shouldn't lie to your wife about video game collecting. Right. Just don't buy it. If it's going to get you in trouble, don't buy it, everybody. Yep. That's the advice we give you about video game collecting and spouses. Uh, but, I, yeah, I just don't want to downplay the, the cool factor of this thing, and whoever gets it, very cool. You know, uh, I'm I'm jealous of whoever ends up winning it. I believe they dumped the BIOS for that thing, mm-hmm. and people are actually programming games for that. it. I have heard that. <laughs> so they're gonna they're gonna make some ROMs for one person to be able to play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's yeah for that one person, or they'll make ROMs for ultimately the emulator that somebody made. Yeah, for the thing. I believe but... uh, Ben Heckadorn uh, or Ben Heck as he goes by. Um, tore that thing apart and actually fixed some yep. of the stuff uh like i believe he replaced some of the capacitors and whatever else goes bad he was on at those midwest last year he was i actually got to talk to him he's a really really nice guy yep. and it was i always thought it was so weird because he was just in one of the meeting rooms had like a table set up was like desoldering and soldering things like, yep. hey hey look it's ben Eck. um but uh man yeah I, I it just it was such a splinter you know where sony went one way nintendo went another way you know, and then there's a lot of interesting info there, too, about how, like, the PlayStation started. It was essentially a, a passion project within Sony that wasn't even supposed to be worked on, you know. And, and so the idea that the PlayStation came out of that and then somehow was competing, they didn't even look at Nintendo as competition. They just went right after Sega, you know, and because that was really their competition with the CD-based market, yeah. you know. And uh, Nintendo showed up later with the cartridge system that ultimately did not 
lead them to be super successful with that unit. Uh, and, you know, now you've got the Nintendo arguably strongest as they've ever been, even though they came off like the Wii U misstep. The Wii was incredibly profitable for them. The Wii put tons of money in the bank. Wii U, not so much. Switch is right back up there killing it, though. And now you've got Sony. The PlayStation essentially is the only division of Sony that's worth anything. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's the only one that, um, like, not so much anymore. Sony's made a good turnaround over the last few years. But there was a time when Sony wanted to break off PlayStation into its own company. And all the Sony shareholders were like, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh, don't take the only profitable part of this dump company I've got my stocks in and take it somewhere else, okay? Um, but, yeah, just, just an interesting time. This this was, a part in, this was a part in time where, like, history, like, it was that pinnacle moment that if you could go back and change something huge in video games, you could go back to this moment and make that relationship happen. And, and the video game landscape would be drastically different, I think, today. Yeah. All right, so that's all we had for news stories today. But, of course, we have our Games of the Week, which is going to be a game we just picked to talk about that we want to make people aware of, good or bad. <laughs> and then we have our Pickup Piles of the Week. But most importantly, John has a question for me. We're going to make this a weekly segment, I think. And then I'm going to throw it back to him and let him answer his own question. But, John, I'm going to pass it to you. What, what question do you have for old Greggy today? So what is your best experience playing an online game? Oh, I, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I would say probably my time in World of Warcraft. Okay. Uh, like I met and I've had cool moments, right? Like I played Rocket League and I had a last minute save and stuff like that. You know, like I remember those moments, but like World of Warcraft was ultimately like building my guild Truegrave, which I still use that like as my guilds and my license plate on my Lancer was Truegrave for a while. It's not anymore. Obviously I, you got rid of that license plate. I still have the license plate. I mean, technically <laughs> I had the registration still, but, uh, I need to switch it over to the Jeep. Cause when I, was... I just, when I bought the Jeep, it like, they made me get new registration cause I hadn't sold the Lancer yet. Oh, okay. So I couldn't transfer it and then still like be able to use the Lancer or whatever. My, my Xbox gamer tag is my license plate. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how much of an Xbox geek geek I am. Yes. Um, for, for that guy, if he's yes. watching, so, you know, you Xbox, you Sony fanboy, you Xbot, you pony, damn dirty <laughs> pony. It's funny. We literally talked about that. You know how we're, the system works are stupid. So anyway, um, it would, it would definitely have to be that. Like, that's the one thing I always remember. And I have a lot of great memories of early internet playing Diablo and Starcraft one on my PC online. <clears throat> But definitely World of Warcraft, man. Like, building that guild from nothing, starting off only inviting people we knew, then blowing it up into people. If you knew somebody who who we knew, then we'd let you in, and then eventually we actually recruited people. We turned into a raiding guild and, like, met people that I still have relationships with today, people I've met in real life that lived out in Texas, South Carolina, New York, California. Um, we, we had meetups where we went out to Ohio. We stayed at a cabin. Like, 30 of us got together okay. and hung out. And then my birthday one year... I don't know if you came to that one or not, but like one year I had a birthday party, had a whole bunch of people there from the wild guild. Like they all came up on a Friday and actually they came up on like a Thursday. And then that Friday or Saturday during the day, we went to that PC land arcade that was here in town for a while. The one that was by red where red Robin is now. Okay. There used to be a a PC land there. We all went there and we did like a, a true grave, uh, PVP raid on a town. Unfortunately, (laughs) their internet was not good enough there to have every computer be on world of Warcraft and, doing That's, a raid so they ended up crashing out that would it be was why rad, they're not though, there you know? <laughs> yeah and then and then that night we uh it was like my traditional party my birthday parties are like i don't do it anymore but my birthday parties 
like used to be a pretty big deal. Like I would maybe probably get fifty to hundred people there in my house, and we had you know p- playing asshole in the kitchen, playing beer pong in the garage, and playing like board games and video games in the basement den. At that time, I didn't have my house yet. That was uh, on my duplex uh, in in Howard, but uh, like yeah, there were some great parties, you know. And so so anyway, it was just it was just really neat. Uh, it was just a really neat collection of people over the years and ultimately it was very stressful though too and people being crappy people and quitting the guild or stealing from another player and then i had to deal with it and you know, like like people calling me on my phone or texting me <laughs> and telling me like hey you need to log on right now because this person's trying to get people to quit and join his guild and i'm like i just want i just want to have a night off you know <laughs> so anyway you know th- there were a lot of bad with it too but there was a lot of good a lot of good that i i really love a lot of those people and and uh, it's such a good time. I look back on my life then, and it was like I had literally nothing else going on, man. I worked at GameStop from nine to six. I came home and I played WoW from six thirty to midnight, <laughs> and then I went to sleep and I woke up, and went back to work, man. That was those were my days. And then Sunday when I was off, I raided. We raid prepped for two hours, raided for eight hours, and that was it. That sounds like work. It, it oh, it very much was. <laughs> Especially for me, it was basically doing my job again, but at home with people on the internet. Yeah. So then let me toss that same question back to you. Your favorite – now, I already know what it is, so you don't have to tell me, but tell the listeners what right. your favorite online moment was. Is so, it appropriate? I'm pretty sure it's yeah, appropriate. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so my favorite slash it was torture while it was happening uh, online gaming moment with some of my friends is uh, – so I was playing the notoriously – divisive uh banjo kazooie <laughs> nuts and bolts uh which i really like that game uh it's like banjo kazooie and legos combined M- together most of the people that hated that game to be fair Didn't were people it. that wanted banjo kazooie 3 right and this was just like you know it was like the natural progression of platformers like nitro crash nitro kart i mean just yeah. crash team racing i think most people just did even play it but um so in the online of that game uh i i'm a big achievement uh junkie and Sometimes in order, like, I would get together with some friends, we boost achievements where you'd help one person get the achievement. And then once they get the achievement, then they would help you get the achievement and so on. And so it was me, my friend Kevin and my friend Ben that were all playing and we were boosting each other to get the achievements. And so Kevin and Ben had gotten all of the achievements in the game for the multiplayer and it was my turn. And... We we ran up into this guy that uh, his gamer tag was Minion9000. I still remember his gamer tag, and it's been like seven or eight years. And um, we we just had some opposition in, from him where he knew we were boosting, and so he started screwing with us. And so I was like, ah, damn it. it like, I was getting frustrated. I'm like, ah, we're going to run into some issues with this guy. And we're like, whatever, we'll keep playing. So the next game type that shows up is called Egg and Spoon Race. And if you can you can make your own vehicle and you can play it in multiplayer, or if you don't have a vehicle made for that game type, you'll just load into whatever the pre-made vehicle for that is, mm-hmm. which it looks like a spoon with a driver's seat, <laughs> and then you have an egg sitting in the in the the base of the spoon and you drive around a track. Sorry, You're... I couldn't hear what you said. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Like, you, didn't even throw say, my... you didn't even say anything to make Siri talk yeah, to you. Yeah, I'm going to throw my watch off. And then I say that, and my watch doesn't even go off. <laughs> She's not even listening to me. Anyway. So so uh, I'm in the pre-created spoon uh, car, and my friends, when we play this game type, 
they would grab the other player's egg and just run off with it. And so if you don't have your your egg in the spoon while you're driving through the checkpoints, you don't get credit for it. So you have to go get it back. And so I start I start racing and I look over and that Minion 9000 guy has loaded up a vehicle that just looks like a giant box. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, whatever. So I start driving, and all of a sudden, this, this giant box sucks my car into his car. And I was like, what the hell? So when, when your car gets flipped over in Banjo, uh, you get out of the driver's seat, and you have this magical wrench, and you can use it to pick up your vehicle and flip it over. Uh, or, like, if it gets stuck somewhere, you can pull it out of where it's stuck. So I get out of the vehicle, and I use the magic wrench to try and pull the vehicle out of his car. <laughs> and he hits the button to suck me up again. And so he sucks Banjo into his car again. And then he hits another button, and it blows me into a cage that's on the top of this box. <laughs> And then he presses another button, and there are not doors in Banjo. You don't, like, you can't make a door to your vehicle, but you can use some of the parts to make a door. So he took uh, collapsible wings that you can put on your car, and you can press a button, and you can, you can go from a car oh, to flying. Sure. And so he put a collapsible <laughs> wing on the bottom of that, that uh, little upper piece, and he opened it, which made it a door. So he locked me in the top of this thing. And I was like, what the hell? What is going on? And so then I'm, I'm trying to get out of this thing. And in single player, if you whack your car with a wrench, it breaks apart. It's very, very easy to break apart. But in multiplayer, they do not let the vehicles break. And I think that's probably a memory constraint because you have five six vehicles sure. that are or, all or a griefing yeah. mechanic anti-griefing mechanic right yeah. so i can't get out of there and he starts sending me text messages on xbox saying sit tight you're not going anywhere <laughs> <laughs> and then after i get the first message he presses the button and he starts flamethrowering me as i'm in the top of this cage and he does this for 15 minutes while the game is over and so i'm I am pissed off, and I'm complaining to my friend Kevin and Ben, and I'm like, "This effing guy! Oh my god! This he's there!" And they're like, "They're like, what is it? How did he build it? What's going on?" Like, they want me to like like study this thing so they can copy it, <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't know. All I see are flames." <laughs> and this guy sent me like probably five or six messages while I'm stuck in this stupid thing, and so after that, I'm like, "F this." I'm done. I'm not going for the achievements tonight. And so we quit the game and I uh we didn't go back to it for probably a year and a half. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so a year and a half later we start playing it again and we're trying to, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to boost. And we run across the some other guys and uh, we invite them into the party and kind of tell them what we're doing. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, let, let's do that together. And I tell them the story about Minion 9000 and the torture vehicles he made. <laughs> and they knew his name 
before I said Minion 9000. They're like, oh, are you talking about Minion? And I'm like, holy crap, he tortured you too? I'm like, how long has this guy been just destroying people in the multiplayer of Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts? <laughs> he, was, he was like... um. He was like that guy from Jeepers Creepers, you know, he's just driving that truck around and he's just, <laughs> oh, you cut him off on the road, oh, he's going to find you. I just really love that story, man. I just, I, oh, I love that story. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, infuriating at the time, but it's one of my favorite stories. Funny now. Absolutely funny now. All right, so we each have our game of the week uh, picked out. So I have mine here. It's another PlayStation game, sticking with the theme. Um, so this week I picked... Front Mission 3 for PS1. This is one of my all-time favorite PS1 games, actually. Uh, it's an RPG. It's a Squaresoft-published RPG. It's a mech. It's a futuristic mech RPG. And Front Mission, I'm sad to say, has sure ta- uh, gone the way of, of awfulness now. Front Mission Evolved was terrible. Left it, Alive is pretty good, though, right? It, is, that the, is that the sequel? Uh, sort of. <laughs> they, they say it's the same game. Like, what? Why? Why? So Front Mission used to be... Uh, a turn-based, tactical-style mech RPG. And Front Mission 3 was actually the first one we got in the States. Front Mission 1 and 2 were both Super Famicom games we never got here. Eventually, we got the first Front Mission translated on the DS, uh, which was cool, but obviously Front Mission 3 at the time, um, it, it is just fantastic. Like this, this, to me, is like the pinnacle of turn-based RPGs, but it's mechs, it's futuristic, it's really well done. Like This was when you saw Squaresoft's name on a box, you bought that game. It didn't matter... If you didn't know anything about it, you bought it and you were like, this game's good. Yep. You saw that logo and it was just, it was all over. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it, tactical, you know, meaning you actually move around the board. So like Final Fantasy Tactics, you move around in position and then you have attacks that, you know, go throughout. It just, I don't know, it just worked, man. It's really cool. And the, the front cover art too, like, I know you can't see his podcast listeners, but the show to John. Like, it's just, it's just dark. It's kind of gritty looking. It's got this brown hue to it all. And it just kicks ass, man. Like, this is one of my favorite PS1 games and... One of my favorite RPGs, but definitely high up there on my list of PS1. Do you have the uh, the side-scrolling Super Nintendo import game that's like more of an action game? Mm-mm. I want to play that. <laughs> I should play that. I, I don't... Yeah, is that, so that's just like a side story? Yeah, it's... Uh, I forget what the hell it's called, but it's, it's a side-scrolling hmm. uh, shooter kind of similar to like the... Um, I think it's similar to like the Capcom like aliens versus predator arcade game oh okay like um, okay yeah, i could be up? totally wrong about that uh because i haven't played it either but i i really want to check it out Interesting. Uh, it's one of those that i'm considering importing nice so for my game of the week i brought child of eden for... i noticed your game of the week is still sealed it now. is it is sealed <laughs> because i own two copies of this and have bought i think five copies of this game okay fair enough uh at i don't remember where i got this from but uh somebody clearanced them out for like five bucks and i like this game so much that i bought like all five copies and then like just gave them to my friends and was like you own this now you have it you deserve to have a good game yeah so child of eden is basically a sequel to res uh from ps2 and dreamcast uh it is a music based uh rail shooter um, it just like Res and like Panzer Dragoon, you highlight eight eight items on the screen. You let the button go, and then it fires off eight homing missiles, and all of it adds to the overall song that's going on in the background. Uh, and the visuals are really impressive and, and psychedelic. Um, it's also like when I first bought this game, 
knowing that it's made by the guy that made Res, I was much, I was a super huge purist, and I was like, I don't want to use the Kinect. Because, like, Res, you played with the controller. I was really good at Res on PS2. And so I didn't want to use the, the Kinect at all. And finally, I actually fired up the Kinect, and it feels awesome. Uh, it's really neat, like, highlighting stuff with your, hand, with your hands, okay. and then shoving forward, shoving your palm forward to fire off the homing missiles just feels really good. Right. Your other hand is like a, um, a machine gun, almost, where it's just constantly firing bullets, and it feels really good to play, and it's also way easier to play. Um, and I found the similar experience with uh, Res VR. Uh, at first, I didn't want to use, like, I, I wanted to play Res on PS4 not using head tracking to fire i wanted to use the controller and it was way harder than just just highlighting the the enemies with your face and firing off the homing missiles was way easier hmm. so the like they really did a good job with connect on child of eden and with adopting the vr sensibilities with uh res nice. well i want a copy so you got any extras for me <laughs> <laughs> you convinced me i'll take it um all right cool so our games of the week front mission three for ps1 Child of Eden for the Xbox 360. Which is, it's also on PS4 as well. Or PS3, rather. It is. Uh, yeah. Well, good. I'll buy it on that then. Yep. Being the pony that I am. Yep, you can get some trophies you know. on it. Do, can, does it use the iToy? Um, I'm pretty sure you can use the PlayStation camera. <laughs> Sorry, not the iToy. That's the <laughs> PS2 version. <laughs> I have another funny story for a different time about a bir- my 21st birthday and the iToy. <laughs> oh. oh, Lord. It involves nudity. <laughs> not mine. <laughs> so uh, with the game of the week out of the way we're to our pickup piles of the week mine is much more impressive this week than it was last week I'm pretty proud of this uh, and yours is looking pretty good over there too you know for somebody who's not supposed to be spending a bunch of money on games I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I'm going to send this to her anonymously and send her the link to the podcast we're like why is John buying these games <coughs> I'm just kidding I'm not going to do that yeah please don't uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to begin let me get my mic situated here because I have to put my back to John so that I can see my game pile instead. So first up, I have a game called Tombs and Treasure. This is an NES game. I got it complete in box, mint in box. This thing is beautiful. It is a, uh, I'm on an RPG kick, as I say every week on this thing, but it's it's a weird kind of old school RPG. It reminds me of like, almost like a, the old dungeon crawler RPGs. Um, I haven't played this yet. Or I should say, I, we had a copy come in the store. I played it a little bit loose. Um, it looks really good, uh, and I just like the art on it, first of all, but then the fact that it's an RPG, so I was like, okay, I'm going to pick this up, and then I saw a mint one on eBay, and I'm like, I have to, because my collection is all, like, mint like this, as far as my Nintendo games go, and so, like, I had, I, when you see it in that condition, you have to go for it, you know? Okay, I was wondering if that walked into your store, or oh, where you got it. That, it is one of the cleanest looking, uh, regular Nintendo games I've seen. Also, I while you were talking about it, I checked to see if I owned it. Oh, nice. I, I do, but only loose. Oh, nice. So that means I owned it at one point. <laughs> yes, because I own all of Greg's NES games from years ago. All of my NES games. Um, so the next up, uh, I, picked up, I finally picked up a copy of X-Men Destiny. I've been thinking about getting this for a long time. I know the game sucks. I really want to play it, though. It was This was essentially the last game that Dennis Dyack at Silicon Knights did. Yep. Rumor has it that they took money from the development of this game and put it into Eternal Darkness 2, and that Activision actually sued them over that because this X-Men Destiny apparently was really bad, and Activision's like, seriously, where's like this is the game you made with all that money we gave you, and 
rumor has it it wasn't all going to this game, basically. They also got in trouble because they started a big war with Epic oh, o- yeah. over the uh, Unreal Engine and complaining that that Epic wasn't doing enough to support their sub-licensees. And so the lawsuit from Epic got that game pulled from shelves by the time it was... By the time that happened, it was pretty much dead anyway. I thought that was too human. Uh, it was that too. Okay. They both. What well, too human was like super off shelves and dead, but that one was like probably a year or so. I didn't know that, that out. affected this game at all. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. Also, um, there, there's a funny story about that game um, where one of the developers was talking about how Dennis Dyack's big input on that game was like, he would walk in and he would, they would like show him a demo of like the, the game running and he would look at the background and there'd be like a pickup truck in the background that is just background image. And he'd be like, that truck should be red. And they'd be like, what, what about the rest of the game? They'd be like, I want that truck red. <laughs> so they had to like stop what they're doing and like, paint the gray pickup truck red in order to please their idiot overlord. Mm. Yeah, I don't... I'd like to know more about that story. Like, I want to know... And where is he now? Like, they tried and failed the Kickstarter for Eternal Darkness 2. It's it's failed several times. Yeah. Eek. Yikes. All right, so then uh, next up, PS3, I picked up Motorstorm Apocalypse. That is a great game. Yeah, I actually really like Motorstorm the first one, too. I'll, I'll admit I have not played Apocalypse. I always wanted to. I really liked the first Motorstorm. I thought it was a really cool kind of demo of what the ps3 could do and the visuals were really impressive to me at the time like seeing that and seeing the motion blur and like the way the road kicked up the dirt and dust i was like this is one of those games the original motor storm was one of those games that really left an impact to me like um of like what the next generation was bringing at that time which was the playstation and xbox 360 do you have pacific rift i don't that one's really good because the store the store got that one but I was like, eh, I really, I like the idea of Apocalypse. Rift and Apocalypse are really, really good. Yeah. I, I couldn't get into the first uh, Motorstorm. That, that's also one of the few games that, if you have the PlayStation 3D TV, uh, you can do split screen where the full screen. Yeah. You have, you both have to be wearing the 3D glasses, but they fluctuate it where the full screen is taken up for both players. It's really weird. That's awesome. Um, I picked up. It was an import copy. This came in that big PlayStation lot, but I picked up an import copy of Wipeout HD Fury for PS3, so this never got released in the States. I'm a huge Wipeout fan, uh, and so I picked that up. And then lastly for PS3, I picked up X-Men Origins Wolverine. I, I was surprised I didn't have this game yet, but this, this plays like a busted God of War. Yeah. But it has this awesome mechanic where when you take damage, your body gets shredded, and then it slowly heals itself. Like you watch the holes in your body like fill back up. It's so cool. Like, like this game's grossly, grossly underrated, in my opinion, because people think it's like a crappy movie tie-in, and it's not. And it was done by Raven, which is in Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. That game, I love that game, but I feel like it's, like, five hours too long. Yeah, probably, like, yeah it, that makes sense. It wears out its welcome. Like, I enjoyed the hell out of the first few levels, but after a while, you're just like, all right, when is the end of this game? Yep. And that real-time regeneration gimmick, like, how cool is that? It was like, really cool, so yeah. so cool at the time. Um, and then Amazon had it on sale. Baldur's Gate one and two, new for PS4, was down to twenty bucks. Okay, I so bought. I, so I scooped that up. I'm not even a really that big of a fan of these games. I'm like, I kind of like them, but getting them both for twenty bucks on one disc, like that's a no brainer for me. Uh, and then lastly, one of my gems, I was surprised I didn't have, Die Hard Arcade. I had a mint case and booklet in the back forever 
no disc. So I finally just said, you know what? I'm going to go on eBay. I'll find a disc only. And I bought it for a fraction of the price, disc only. And then put it together and made this complete case. How much was the disc only? Still like 40 bucks. <laughs> yeah, because complete, it's upwards of 80 to 100 yeah. now. Um, but yeah, so that that's my pickup pile of the week. I loved me some Die Hard Arcade. I, I, I stole that, that game. game. It's one of the few Saturn games I have that's not an RPG. So, John, what do you have? What did you pick up in the last week or so here? All right. Well, my tastes tend to be a little bit more modern. Uh, so I abused the the uh, GameStop 4 for 20 again, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really running out of games to be able to pick. <laughs> I can't even believe you find uh, – I can't even find 4 at a GameStop, let alone you finding, like, 12. Yeah, I, I told a, a guy at work um, – I told him, I'm like – if I just give you a game, don't think it's weird. It's I'm like, I'm I'm running into where I want. Like I'll find two games I want that are part of the four for twenty, and then I'll be like, you know, if I can't find any, I'm just gonna buy Indivisible for Stan because it's an awesome game mm-hmm. and it's eligible for it now. And so if I can't find one, I'll just give it to my buddy. So I don't know why I didn't have this already because this is one of my favorite games ever, Just Cause Three for Xbox One. Uh, I own it digitally but that doesn't stop me from wanting hmm. the disc. Um, I also I own it for PS4 as well. I have the Platinum in the PS4 version, and I have the 1,000 achievement points in the Xbox <laughs> version. Uh, I bought Rogue Stormers, which I have no idea what the hell it is. But uh, hey, it's, a, it's an indie <laughs> game published by Sedesco. Yep. Uh, I bought Tour de France Season 2019. <laughs> uh, made by Cyanide Studios, who See, also did the terrible game of thrones game that's right so uh, every, every time that uh every time that i go somewhere i always try to find you some cheap ass garbage games yep and when i was in ireland i f- did i find you a couple in ireland i did yeah, right? I, I found you i think you gave me uh you gave me a 360 yeah tour de france game yeah that's right yep. yeah yeah so that's my second tour de france game um <laughs> and i have actually thought many times of importing them i it the tour de france game i have is for playstation which is not my preferred console for only the reason friends. of achievements. I want achievements in dumb games. I remember when we were driving, when we were going, I think we were going to Anago Mojo's. We were yeah. going on a game run, and you had, like, your Windows phone, and the whole reason you bought the Windows phone was for achievements or yes. something? <laughs> yep. There was a terrible crackdown game on uh No one can question your on loyalty Windows to Microsoft. Phone. My God. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I got all the achievements in that crackdown windows phone game right before they shut down the servers for it um it was actually kind of cool you uh it used gps like uh satellite maps and you set up your home base on on the actual map and then you set up turrets around your base and you'd have to defend it from the uh the hordes of like zombie monster things um so yeah i played way too much of that um and then the last game I got for the four for 20 deal was gears of war ultimate edition slash rare replay um, I own both of these games separately, but I didn't have them together, so nice. I picked it up. Good choice. Uh, and then I bought Need for Speed Heat for Xbox One. How much did you pay for that crap? 40 bucks. Ugh. I, I hate that game. Did you play it? I did. Yeah. I played it free on Origin. Not good. <laughs> and I did not like it. I. But I haven't liked a Need for Speed game for quite some time. So the, They just they don't drive right. 
no, like the handling just you. feels weird. God, thank you. Yeah. It just feels like okay. So you haven't played this at all? I played a little bit of it. I I did like the first uh, couple missions. The intro to that game is the dumbest stuff I've ever heard. And this, them trying to make the story, and there's like the cop who wants to murder the racer, and then they're like, "No, we can't. The cameras are watching." And then like they let you go. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, there's like these cops are the devil in that game. They're just like, we gotta kill these street <laughs> racers, make them stop racing. What? Anyway, I don't pay attention to the story in, in racing games. Yeah, well, and then I didn't I didn't like the mechanic on how you drive during the day to win races to make money, and then at night you, you know, or you race at night to to make money, and then during the day you buy parts to race legit. Okay. It's just so stupid. Man. It's better than Rivals so far. Yes, which in Rivals, <laughs> like every damn time I had any money, I had like ninety cops steal all of it from me. Mm. So I just kept getting pushed further and further in Another... the game with having nothing to spend on my car. <laughs> like it's like, well, hey cool, sounds... I have a I have a level one car and I'm going against Bugattis. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That yeah. sounds so much fun. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> uh so I was excited about this one, because uh, I'm a big fan of the developer uh Darksiders Genesis, mm-hmm. uh which is I beat that game. You beat it already? I did. You play it on Stadia? Play it on PC. <laughs> play it on Steam. Uh, oh yeah, big Stadia guy here. Yeah. Um no, it's it's fun. Yeah. I like it. Uh I like I'm I'm just glad that uh that Joe Maduria and Airship Syndicate got another crack at the Yeah. The character that created. I'm um, surprised that Gunfire Games didn't work on that. Uh I well they did Darksiders three. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh and I know THQ Nordic obviously published it. So yeah. there's probably a relationship there, but but I I think that uh, I don't think that Airship Syndicate has probably the budget to make and and maybe even the talent to make a big Darksiders like 3D action game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they made uh, Battleship Ch- or Battle Chasers, which is more of a a smaller RPG like top down, and that this is kind of similar. Yeah, uh, but both of the, the games are is great. great too. By yeah. the way, Battlechasers is really fun. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by. It. I didn't finish it, but I, I like my time with it. And Darksiders Genesis isn't bad. It definitely has issues though. Um, and that game plays just like the other Darksiders games. Yeah, but it's isometric. So when you're doing platforming, but you got that Diablo view, I hate it. I, I really wish you could like change to a third person camera. But I understand in a co-op game. And in a game with, like, limited resources, they couldn't do that. So far, my only complaint with that game is uh, the I wish there was a mini-map. Uh, yes, very much so. Or yes. I, wish the, I wish the map that's on the pause screen was better, because, like, I have no idea where the hell my character is yes, why do they on not that put, map. Yes, why don't they put a cursor of who you are in yeah. the map? I, I was it's thinking so about dumb. tweeting at uh, Joe Maduria, the, the creative yeah. guy, because he's kind of the I face love of his that art, studio. I by the way. Like, I yeah. absolutely love his art. I was thinking about tweeting at him and being like, hey, please update this part of the game. Love the game, but please put a pin where I'm at on the mini-map. Did you play Darksiders 3? Uh, a little bit. So that game also does not have a map at all. It just has like that weird compass that just okay. guides you where to go. So I don't know why a totally different company working on the same license, they just have some bug up their ass about not having maps that are worth a shit in their games. You know. Uh, <laughs> question for you. Uh, going off of, uh, you mentioned uh, Darksiders 3. Um, for some reason, my wife, Nicole, made fun of me mercilessly for playing that game. She's like, this is the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen you play. And I was just like, wow, you've seen me play Oni Chambara for like 
40 <laughs> or 50 hours and Darksiders 3 is the one that you have the biggest problem with what the hell so has has Jen ever like looked at the game you're playing and been like what is this crap you're playing I started playing Horizon Zero Dawn okay and she wouldn't stop making fun of their like the way their mouth animations were when okay. they were talking because they have like mush mouth in that game they're just going like, <laughs> and so like she made fun of it and as soon as she made fun of it I was like I'm not gonna play this if you're just gonna make fun of it and I shut off and never played again <laughs> So apparently one of the best PlayStation exclusives I've never played because my wife complained of him having mush mouth. That's funny because I feel like she might actually enjoy that game if she gave it oh, a try. Oh, she'd love it. Oh, yeah. God, she'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> she told me the other day Okami was probably the best gaming experience she's ever had in her life. Yeah. Playing Okami, and I was like, yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. I I bought that game like nine times, and I still – I just can't get into it. Like, mm. I, I need to hit that that part in the game like a couple hours yeah. in where it grabs you. Get into the – the, the, rigmarole yeah. yeah and then the last game on my pickup pile is i bought the yakuza remastered collection for ps4 nice. which comes with yakuza 3 4 and 5 and then they made a case yeah, which for is great. yakuza 5 for ps3 because we never got it on disc in the yeah. u.s on ps3 at first i got weirded out and i thought that it was actually the ps3 version of 5 that they brought <laughs> over and i was like why would they do that but I, I ordered it from Amazon. They sent it in one of those damn bubble mailers, and they beat the crap out I, of it. I had so. someone on Twitter. They literally put the sticker on the shrink-wrapped box. They didn't Ugh. put it in an envelope even. They put this box what? here. They just put the sticker over Are and shipped it. Are you freaking kidding me? Nope. Yeah, I, I'll have to find the picture, and it was crazy. That is nuts. Yeah, that is crazy. impressively bad. Which reminds me, so I forgot <clears> one thing in my pickup pile this week. It's not technically a game, but it's the vinyl soundtrack for the original Metal Gear from the MSX2. That's pretty so sweet. I picked this up. The, the only thing I don't like is it says featuring original artwork by Paul Mann on the cover. This artwork sucks. I do not <laughs> like this at all. I think this is like cheesy. I'd much rather have them had like Yoji Shinkawa do something or grab the original art from the cover of the box, which had Kyle Reese on it from Terminator. <laughs> um, but I do love the uh, – this is actually – a lot of people don't know this. If I decide to get a tattoo, I'm going to get that. Really? Yeah. Well, that's the original Foxhound logo. I love it. It's kind of cartoony as opposed to being like, you know. Like a lower back type thing? Yeah, like, right above my butt crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something no. that when you're wearing a bikini, just yeah, show, it's shown off really nicely. Yeah, maybe on my <laughs> biceps when I flex. You know. Is <laughs> is that the guy that did the cover art for the first Metal Gear games on the NES? Like, is that why they went I with him? I don't think so. I mean, you know what? I better look that up because... It's 80s-tastic. He kind of looks like MacGyver on there. Paul Man Artist... Here, talk while I look this up. Uh, well, I, talk I can't about, vamp. Talk about Yakuza. <laughs> uh, well, I own all of the Yakuza games on PS4, and I haven't played, like, any of them. <laughs> Actually, I played a little bit of Zero so far, and it's interesting. So it, it looks like he did not do the original Metal Gear art, but he did a bunch of... I don't know. There's there's a bunch of art of him doing like 80s style posters. Like, is this is this actually his? I don't know. It looks like like he did a. Oh, let's take a look here. I'll look him up on Facebook real quick. That kind of looks like the uh, that style of art on that record reminds me of Jackal. Yeah, like the Konami art. I don't yeah. know. I kind of wonder if he did some of the Konami box art from back in the day. Have you ever considered buying the old like an actual piece of art from? a nes box art yes i have and that guy was at midwest classic like the, the konami one and i thought about it really well i asked him about originals and he said that there are originals out there and he's like but you know the price on oh. he kind of rolled his eyes I'm like no i'm serious what's the price 
Like if he had said a thousand bucks, I'd probably been like, yeah, I, I bought one of those for a thousand bucks. Yeah. But he didn't say, and he was just like, oh, we did something we have to talk about, you know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's kind of like I uh, I was at comic uh, the Wizard World back in the day. This was probably fifteen years ago now, and uh, I was talking to a guy about at a booth and uh he mentioned that he had original art and i was like oh what have what have you done and he's like oh i was the inker on uh the sonic the hedgehog comic for years and i was like i'm a huge sonic the hedgehog fan i went to um not not like a furry weird thing um but i i have a five foot tall fiberglass uh, sonic the hedgehog that was like at a toys r us back in the 90s in my basement by my collection and uh so he was like yeah i got i got some of that art back in my booth and i was like oh cool lead the way and so he showed me and i was like how much is this and i was like expecting him to say like 100 bucks 200 bucks whatever and he's like 20 bucks i was like oh yeah i'll buy one uh so yeah i i have a original piece of uh un uh uncolored sonic art from the old 90s comic it's yeah it's really cool it's one of my favorite things in my collection so I can't tell if if this artist actually made these posters at the time, but he's been apparently he's an artist been art, being doing illustrations for forty years, huh. and so some of the stuff like the Indiana Jones stuff, especially like this, totally looks like something you would see. But then some of it just looks like, like like that's not the original movie poster for like Blade Runner or for the Thing, but they're cool. Yeah, you know, I don't know. So unfortunately, I can't answer that question. But um, anyway, that's all we had for today, man. That's it. Another all another right. one bites the dust. Uh, if uh, as always, we appreciate everybody for listening and watching. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. You can follow John on Twitter, even though he's not on there very much at Dryer, Dryer Combo. Combo. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. We're about to hit seven thousand subscribers. We're just a couple hundred away from that, so we're pretty proud about that. That's at YouTube.com/slash/TheDropRate. And of course, uh, if you search, I'm sure you're listening to this somehow. But if you don't know, you can listen on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Just search for Game Talk Radio and look for the little 8-bit sprite wearing the Game Trade shirt. And uh, that's all we had for you. Appreciate you guys. Everyone take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.